Hi, this is Cynthia Weil. I'm the author of I'm Glad I Did. My book is a young adult novel that weaves together music and mystery and is set in the Brill Building in 1963. Now, that's a period that I should know about because it's just about when I entered the music business. I was at the low-rent building next to the Brill Building as a staff songwriter at Alden Music. I was there along with Carol King, Jerry Goffin, Neil Sedaka, and a whole horde of songwriting nuts working with and against each other when one day a real live 16-year-old came into our midst. Our <laughs> publisher, Don Kirshner, told us this kid was going to be the next Benny King. And he is my guest today. And his name is Tony Orlando. Hi, Tony. <laughs> you know what's so hysterical about this? I never became the next Benny King. <laughs> and no, I you used didn't, to say, but you sure could sing like him. Uh, and, you know, he was, I, to be honest with you, when Donnie, I first met Donnie, Cynthia, as you know, you're right, we were all kids together in that building. And I remember him saying to me, you go home and you listen to Benny King. And then you go <laughs> in the studio with Carol King and and Barry Mann and Cynthia and Jerry, and you go in there and you sing their demos and you try to sound like Benny King. So I told this story to Benny King one day, Cynthia. Yes. I said, Benny, do you know what the whole key was being to sounding like you? And he goes, what's that tone? I said, listen very carefully. Mm-hmm. If you got that in bef- before the first line of every song, you were Benny King. <laughs> <laughs> So, so if you listen to it. Candida, if you actually listen to Candida, the first Dawn hit record we had, I did a Benny King mm-hmm on that record because right. I had called Benny to record that for Tony Wine. Yeah. She wrote it with Irwin Levine. And he said, Tony, that's how, I've been there, done that. He didn't want to record it. Right. So I ended up putting my voice on it thanks to him for turning it down, and here we are talking to each other all these years later. But, Cynthia, can I just share something with you? Yes, you your, can, and, and your, then you have and to let book. me ask you some questions. Okay, your book, your book is very special because it is a marker. What you've written and what you experience in life, and like the show Beautiful tells us on Broadway, is that you and Barry are markers in our business. It changed the music business. It really did. The songs that you wrote made other people's lift their bar. The oh, lyrics that you... No, no, really, it's the truth. When you start listening to Love and Feeling and On Broadway, these songs, they changed the music business. They were just not just hit records. And I just want you to know it's been a privilege to not only know you and love you as a friend, you and Barry, but thank you for the exercise of excellence. Thank you for allowing me to be part of excellence in my lifetime, in my career, really. Well, tell me how that career really started. How did you find your way to Alden Music at the ripe old age of 16? Well, you and I know a guy named Brooks Arthur. Yes. And Brooks Arthur and Artie Kaplan, who was a saxophone player at the time and a contractor for music people, mm-hmm. were writing together. And I met them, believe it or not, at the Turf Restaurant in New York City, right next to the Brill Building. And they said, I had my guitar with me, and they said, are you, are you a writer? No, 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 I'm not a writer. He said, well, play us something. So I went into the hallway of the Brill Building, and I played them La Bamba. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, said I wrote that. <laughs> and they said and they said, We'll take we're gonna take you over to see um 
Don Kirshner over. You'd be great. Come on. And they took me to Donnie. And then I, Donnie, I walked in his office, and you know his office was had that red piano and that yes, that that with the that, bar. That, with the bar in it and everything, and I thought this guy's shuck and jive. I'm not gonna this. I this guy's not telling me the truth. It was a record company on his door. What does he want with me? Yeah. So I left the office after he said he was going to sign me and make me a big star. And for three months, I never went back. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, my mother picks up the phone at home and she says, "There's a guy named Don Kirshner on the phone. He says been looking for you." I swear this no is the truth. No kidding. I swear to you. And I said, I said, Mr. Kirshner. He goes, "Where have you been?" I, I, get over here and bring your mother to sign a contract. I swear this is true. <laughs> so we go in, we sign the contract, and he introduces me to Carol King and Jerry Goffin. <laughs> they sit down and he says, listen, you're going to go and work with Jerry and Carol. They live on Brown Street in Brooklyn, and you're going to do demos and learn how to sing in the studio with them because I think you need that experience. And that's what I did. I started out making demos with them, and as you know, with Barry and you. Right. And and the next thing I know, I was the first pop artist signed to Epic Records, and that was the beginning of my career, 16 years old. And my first hit record was Halfway to Paradise, which Carol wrote. But my right. second biggest hit record, which was the bigger record internationally, was the first hit record you and Barry, I think, ever had, Absolutely. which was Bless You. Which was Bless first You. First chart record I ever had. And Isn't that when something? You, when you looked at the scene up there, what went through your 16-year-old mind? Did you think, I'm in the midst of an insane asylum? What, what did you think? <laughs> you know, it was a, when I look back on it now, Cynthia, it was a, a there really was a family feeling in that office. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was a, I mean, there was competitiveness going on. You, fe- right. you sensed that. I sensed that. But there was no, I didn't sense anger. I sensed real professional, you know, and remember, we were all children, really, in our teens. Right. And, and there we were in these little offices and these little cubicles, and on occasion we'd come out and hear someone write a new song, and it would, and it would be you and Barry writing a hit or Carol and Jerry writing a hit. And all I remember was, I have to be Neil Sedaka. <laughs> all I can't re- <laughs> All I kept thinking was everybody loves and respects Neil, and that voice was was angelic that he would use and come out. I mean, his voice was scary. So the thing that scared me the most was that I have to be in the office the same day as Neil Sedaka was singing because he was such a beautiful singer. And I was very intimidated by that. But I completely felt at home. I used to love going up to that office. Mm-hmm. I always, I felt like I had a place, a purpose. It right. was my education. And then Jack Keller, who was one of the writers up there, became mm. like a like a brother, a father figure to me, really, even though he wasn't that much older than me. And right. he was kind of the professor of the office to me. He, I felt like he would walk around with his pipe. And for yes. those of you who are listening, he would walk around with a pipe and kind of like lead everybody along the way. Am I got? Do I have that right, Cynthia? Do I yes, remember it correctly? Absolutely, I remember the pipe. Yeah. Yeah, and he never got the credit. I don't think that Jack deserved as a, as an overall talent. He was a talented, talented, wonderful man. And you, I remember you when I. So beautiful to go back to those early days. It mm-hmm. was so accurate the way you came in, and you, and you had, you had a sense of confidence about you. That's what I remember <laughs> about you. There was this sense of confidence, and no one was going to. You were immovable, and I remember. But at the same time, 
there was a softness about you because I did a demo for you and Barry, if you remember. Oh, I remember that. And I'm on microphone. I'll never forget this. I mean, this is 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. And and I remember looking into the booth window and seeing you sobbing. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that. And, and, I do. You, and the you opening sang the line, song, Barry sang the song, and Brooke sang the song, and right. you were the one who brought me to tears. I, and that honored me so much, and I, it was actually gave me a chance to feel a little confident about myself as a singer because the way you cried, and remember the opening line of the song was, Softer Than a Kitten's Paw was the opening line of that song. And the song is called Everlasting. Everlasting. You see, we both remember that moment. Yes. And that's when I fell in love with you and became felt like we had a very strong bonding friendship. And and it's never wavered. Never. And you were the best friend anyone could ask for. Thank you, Cynthia. And let me ask you, after those first couple of chart records and you and Barry went on the road together. Right. Then what? Then you ended up on the other side of the desk. You ended right. up on the business end of the business. Right. And how did that happen? Well, you know, I there was I had gotten married very young. And you remember my first marriage to Elaine? Yes. I was twenty twenty Elaine. years old, and yes. she had a, she had a, a boy, and and the Beatles came in, and the radio was becoming very British, and I wasn't getting any airplay, and I wasn't a writer, so I wasn't in the in the world that you and Barry and Carol and Jerry were in. I never right. really was a writer. So I, I was stuck in this kind of vacuum where there was no work. Mm-hmm. There, was no, there was no ability to, to grow. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought, well, I have to make a living. i got a family now to support. And there was a man named Wally Schuster, who's a friend of ours. I remember who, Wally very well. He was working with a, a company at Robbins Music. It was a, a huge uh, publishing company. And he said, why don't you come to work for me and learn how to be a music publisher? Well, being that I had Donnie Kirshner as a, an example of what you could do, and maybe I learned a few things. Now, remember, I only have an eighth-grade education, so I had no high school, no college, nothing. So I go in and I work for Don, for for Robin Music for a hundred dollars a week, and I did mm-hmm. very well. I did very well. I had a lot to do with a lot of the hits that were happening there. And then finally, I got a call from Clive Davis, who said, "Why don't you come and work for me at April Blackwood Music?" And I I became general manager of that company and and uh, had a great run representing James Taylor and Blood Sweat and Tears and and signed Barry Manilow and did I don't know if you know that, but I signed. No, Barry I and, didn't know yeah, that. I signed Barry and did his first. First, uh, first recordings with him. But so, how did it feel suddenly being on the other side of the desk? You know, it's it was it's a, a great experience for me because I realized that there were times I was turning down writers that it wasn't because they weren't good writers or good singers or good performers. It was because it didn't fit the company, or it didn't. I didn't have the uh, the the uh, the the budget to pull it off. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of times I'd have to pass on someone and make sure that like, they knew it wasn't their talent. So it it taught me that being turned down is about ninety nine percent of our business, and one percent is being accepted. And so I never felt again that if I went to do a part after that experience in a movie and I was turned down, I never took mm-hmm. it personally. 
I never felt like it wasn't because I wasn't good. There are, are multiple reasons why you get turned down. So that's the first thing it taught me. The second thing it taught me was what a songwriter goes through when he writes a song. He or she writes a song. Because it's not something that's like, it's not like building a product, like building a beer or building a, a, an ashtray or building a, a belt buckle or a, or a, or a new fashion where this is something that comes from someone's soul. When, when a writer walks in and plays me a song, they're playing me a piece of their heart and soul. And I took that very seriously. So when I would take a song, for instance, to an artist to record, uh, a James Taylor song or a, or, or, or a Blood, Sweat, and Tears song or, mm-hmm. or Barry, for instance, I would take that song to my soul because mm-hmm. I really felt that that was what happened in the days when we were beginning. I felt that even though Donnie was this this bigger-than-life character, when I remember him actually going into a, a, a look of ecstasy when he would hear a song that he felt was a hit record or a hit song. And he, I sensed that he was feeling that soul from that writer. I really did. And mm-hmm. I emulated that. I tried to emulate that. And, and, and to be honest with you, Cynthia, it was the best four years of my life because it gave me a sense of confidence. I was an executive. I was a general manager, about to be vice president, just mm-hmm. before I became... Uh, uh, Tony Orlando and Dawn, which was accidental. I backed into that. Yeah, but I'm going to ask that, you about that. Yeah, that run was an amazing experience for me. Well, when you were signing people, did you feel any conflict, like it should be me on that side of the desk, someone should be never signing did. me? I never did, because you know why, Cynthia? My dream was never to be one thing in this business. Mm. My dream was to be all of it. I could. I wanted to make movies. I wanted to be in, uh, on Broadway. I wanted to have hit records. And if I would pull the curtain on Broadway, I'd have been happy. And that's the truth. I just, wow. wanted, to be in, I just wanted to be in show business. So mm-hmm. I just felt, okay, this is my position. This is what I am to do now. I'll do the best job I can do as long as I'm still in this industry. And I was very fortunate. Don't forget, right away, I was with you. Barry, mm-hmm. you know, Carol, Cynthia, Phil Spector, Burt Backtrack, Lieber and Stola, Donnie Kirshner, Jack Keller, Tony Wan. I mean, all these people, I was with the best of the best. Mm-hmm. So I already had a a sense of what greatness was, really, when I worked with writers and I worked with performers. And so for me, it was never jealousy, just as it wasn't up in that office. Mm-hmm. You know, even in the show Beautiful, there's never a sense of jealousy when you watch that play. And between you and Carol and Jerry and, and Barry, there's a sense of love for each other. And yes, inspiring each other, but no hate, no dislike. <laughs> well, you know, there were, there, I have to tell you that the truth is that there was love and hate. <laughs> there was, was there? Well, I there didn't was. sense we, that. We I never sensed that. We thought they were so good. And we hated how good they were. <laughs> we wanted yeah, you to hated how good, record. but you didn't hate them. There was no. always a sense, that's what I mean, there was always a yeah. sense of this hate that, oh, my God, why can't I write a song like that? Or, yes, right. But that was part of the, 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 the pistons to your engine, right? Absolutely. Well, and Jerry well, Goffin taught me more about lyric writing than anybody in the world, just listening to him next door. Well, you know, I look at the lyrics that you guys wrote, and I just say, where does this come from? How can she find the words? Where does this... 
Let me ask you a question. This is your podcast. This is your show. Mm-hmm. When you when you do you start with a title? Do you start with an idea? How do you find that it's not, you know, moon and bloom? I mean, it's not the normal kind of rhyme and these wonderful just poetic words that happen with music. How does that happen with you? Is that a flow? Do you struggle uh, you know, with I it? Don't, I honestly don't know how it happens, but I know that there have been, usually a melody speaks to me. And um, we have written melody first, lyrics first, the whole thing together, title first, no title, getting the melodic hook first. We've written all different ways. But I know that most of the time the music tells me what to say. And there have been times when I've been in one of these writer's slumps that you can't don't know why you're in it, but you can't get out. And I thought, this must be what normal people feel like when they hear music. I don't have an idea in my head. Mom. But, but I usually do. But, so. you know, when you come up, you know, I used to think, you'll never close your eyes like you did. What, that opening line. I always felt the opening line of a song was very important. <laughs> mm-hmm. That very first statement, you always, and Jerry too, always, always opened with a unique and an incredible opening line to a song. Are you aware of that? Or is that just something that you now, I'm bringing up to you now, is that something you do on purpose? No. Or is no. Uh-uh. it just happens? That's incredible, really. It just kind of happens. But how did you get back into singing after being such a successful executive? Totally an accident. When I got back into singing, it was a totally an accident, and it was it was a crazy one. Now you remember the name Hank Medris? Of course. So we'll share with the people who he is. He was with a group called the Tokens, and of course mm-hmm. a record producer who produced a lot of hits with the Chiffons and. Uh, the Happenings, and all these great little records, and, uh, you know, of course, the Token Records. And Hank was a uh, a good song man. He really knew a good song. When he heard a song, he knew what a hit song was. He comes to my office, and he says to me, at April Blackwood, now I'm sitting behind the, on the desk, <laughs> and he said, Tony, I'm broke. He said, I, 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 need, I need at least $3,000 to pay for my mortgage payment, my rent, my bills, etc. He said, I have a record here. Can you buy the record for me? And he plays me Candida. Mm-hmm. The record and that you heard. And who's singing it? I don't know. To this day, uh. I don't remember who it was. So he plays me Candida. So I go, okay, Hank. I said, uh, I love the song. He said, Tony Wine wrote it with Erwin, Erwin Levine. And, and I love the record. I said, let me take it over to Larry Utah at mm-hmm. Bell Records. So I take it to Larry Utah at Bell Records, who's the president of the company. And I had had some success over there with the box tops, you know. Chips Moment songs, right? And so I go in and I play him Candida, and with Hank, and he says mm-hmm. to Hank, "I love, I love the record, but I don't like the lead singer." Mm-hmm. So Hank says, well, "Well, he said if I find the right lead singer, he goes, would you would you buy the record?" He goes, "Yeah, give me the right lead singer, and I'll buy that record. I love the track, I love the arrangement, I love everything." So we're walking out of the building. <laughs> <laughs> and Hank says to me, Tony, this song was written for Benny King. He <laughs> said, he said, would you, would you put your voice on it? I said, no, first we'll call Benny King. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I called Benny King. I said, Benny, 
listen, there's a song here, but you can't put your voice on it. Would you put your voice on it or know somebody who sounds like you? And and, and he says, well, why don't you do it? Benny says this to me. <laughs> and I go, I go, I can't do that. I work for Clive Davis. I can't, I can't make records. I'm sitting, but I'm a, I'm a general manager here. He'll kill he crazy. Hank goes, Tony, I'm broke. I'm broke. You oh. gotta help me. I said, Hank, I'll tell you what I'll do. This is all true now. He oh. goes, let's, he said, I'll go into the studio with you tonight. If in one hour I come out with a performance, you got it. But don't call it Tony Orlando. I don't care if you call the group Tony Orlando and, I mean, uh, Joe Schmo and the Nail Biters. Do not <laughs> call it Tony Orlando. So I go into the studio, Cynthia, and I swear this is how we cut Candida. <laughs> Hank is in the booth, and he goes, okay, here we go. Now, there was a thing where you could record the first line, stop the tape, yeah. then record the second line, stop. It was called cell sync, right? Right. So... I start. The intro starts. Da 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 dum, da 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 dum, da da. I go. How's it go, Hank? He goes. The stars won't come out if they know that you're about. Okay, hang on, Hank. Hang on. Let me repeat that. So the stars won't come out if they know that you're about. Okay, play it. Song starts. Da 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 dum, da da da. And I go. Stars won't come out if they know that you're about. Stop tape. What's the next line? And he goes, because they couldn't match the glow of your eyes. Oh, because they couldn't match the Oh, okay. I got it. Da, 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 da. I do the first line. I do the second line. I did every line of the song one line at a time. He could a lyric sheet? <laughs> I had a lyric sheet. I had the lyric sheet in front of me, but I didn't know the melody. Oh, my God. So he was teaching me the melody, and I'm reading it off the paper. So now I finish the song in one hour, and I leave. Three months later, I'm in my office, and my secretary comes in, Cheryl Feuerstein, and I'll never forget it. She says, Tony, look at this. It's the pick hit of the week. It came on the charts at 50, Candida. I said, Hank's song? That's it? What does he call the group? I see Dawn. I call Hank up. I said, who's Dawn? He goes, you're Dawn. I know. I said, where did you come up with this name? He goes, it's... Steve Wax, who's head of promotion for Bell Records, is his daughter's name. I figured it would be a good idea to name the group <laughs> after his daughter, and maybe he would give it a chance. Well, the next thing I know, it goes to number one. I don't tell anybody, nobody, Cynthia, because yeah. I don't want to lose my job with Clive. Now he comes in, Candida's number one. This is God's honest truth. I don't yeah. tell anybody. No one even knows. I go in, he plays me a song called Knock Three Times. I said, Hank, that's the stupidest, craziest, dumbest song I ever heard in my life. He goes, why? He goes, nobody has pipes anymore. Nobody yeah. hits pipes, knock three times in the pipes. That's an old tenement building. Things yeah. are not that way in the Midwest and in California. It could stop it. He goes, I'm telling you, it's a smash. Put your voice on it, please, Tony. I said, Hank. <laughs> Please, I'm going to lose my job. Will you stop? Please, Tony, please. I Now I go in, I cut knock three times for Hank because I love him so much. The song becomes number one in a half an hour. I mean, I'm not kidding you. <laughs> now I got two number one records in a row, and I'm still sitting behind the desk, and no one knows it's me. So finally, I go, you know what? This is stupid. I always wanted to be a performer. What am I waiting for? So I walk into Clive Davis's office, and I say, Clive, listen, I'm going to have to leave the company. He goes, I know why you're done, right? <laughs> I said, of course. I said, 
I said, what? He said, it's the worst kept secret in the music business. I said, and you didn't say anything to me? He said, no. He said, you have to cut an album, right? I go, yeah. He goes, I want five songs in the album from April Blackwood. So I cut five James Taylor songs in the album to, oh, make, no him to make him happy. And <clears throat> honest, this is the truth. And God bless him. He said to me the following words. I'll never forget this, Cynthia. Clive said, listen, Tony. You've been great for the company. He said, you go pursue your dream. If it doesn't happen for you, you can always come home. I'll never forget him for that. Well, that is so kind. That is so lovely. It's Yeah, yeah. It's not like any other Clive Davis story I've ever I heard. know. <laughs> I know, but it's true. <laughs> well, people rise to the occasion when you're involved because you're so good that they, you make oh. people better. Oh, thank you, Cynthia. Coming from you, that's something special to me. Thank you so much for that. And then you had a big television show. Yeah. And that was a great, that was something special for us. I think that's made us more than than, than just an everyday group making records. I think that brought us into, you know, don't forget that. That show was on a time, Cynthia, when there was only three networks. ABC, right. CBS, NBC. No cable, nothing. So our average audience was a 35, 36 share every week. Mm-hmm. So that means 40,000 people a week were watching the Tony Orlando and Dawn show. Right. And, and for four years we did that show, and it was amazing for me to work with some of the greatest actors and actresses. And my very first guest was Jackie Gleason. And I worked oh a sketch, God. and I worked a sketch with him. And I had never even done a high school play. Yeah. And we ended up doing that. Well, you've never together. been to high school. How could you do a high school play? That's right. Never been to high school. So <laughs> therefore, you're right. Yeah, I just said that too. But we're, there we were. There we were on that show. You know, just kids. And when I look back on it now, boy, I think what a great experience that was. And it, it gave me a chance to go in the homes of everyone in this country. And to this day. To this day, people walk up to me. To this day, and that's 40 years ago, that show. And they'll mm-hmm. go, how's Dawn? Where's Dawn? Do you see Dawn anymore? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it never left them. So it's been, uh, the TV show was one of those things that was, an, you know how I got the show, Cynthia? No. I was at Westbury Music Theater working with the Fifth Dimension. Mm-hmm. We were the opening act. They were the stars of the show. Um. Originally, there was supposed to be there was Sonny and Cher. They mm-hmm. were supposed to be the opening act, and Sonny and Cher were supposed to be the the stars of the show. Well, Sonny got the flu. They canceled. The Fifth mm-hmm. Dimension became the headliners. We opened for them. Fred Silverman, who signed Sonny and Cher, came to the show the night that they canceled. Did not mm-hmm. know that they weren't going to be there. Watches me on stage, comes backstage afterwards, and he said... Hey, uh, I came here to see Sonny and Cher, and I didn't know who you guys were, but I love the way you walk through the audience and work with people. Would you consider doing a summer show? And Fred Silverman, president of CBS, that day offered us a summer show uh, in 1973, and we went on the air, and that was it. We stayed on the air. We never left. You know, it's almost as if, Things were meant to happen, and they exactly. happened. No matter yeah. what you did, you tried to get out of the business, and it pulled you back in. It's so. right, isn't it? You're right. You're right. It, 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 it's been that all my life, all my career, and 
You know, I, I'll tell you, I haven't hit, had a hit record since 1977. I still work 135 dates a year. Mm. I'm still I'm still headlining in, in all of the casinos there are in Vegas, etc. And, you know, I, it's just amazes me. We're still selling out everywhere well, we go. Well, because you keep using the name Benny King. <laughs> God rest his soul. God rest yes. his soul. Oh, you know, God. God rest his soul. Well, that I don't was think people know what a great singer you really are. Because oh, my God. You know, I asked, I asked Benny not long ago, um, who was your favorite singer? And he said, Sam Cooke. Hmm. And I said, well, that was everybody's favorite singer. You know, he goes, yeah. Yeah, well, that, that was my, that was the guy I wanted. To. He said, I thought I sounded like yeah, Sam Cooke. I said. You didn't. He said, yeah. He said, I used to think I was sounding like him in the studio. It's like when I cut Yellow Ribbon, I thought I was I was making believe I was Bobby Darren. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, after the TV show, things went a little crazy for you. Uh-huh. And you ran into some personal problems that my yeah. husband ran into in the 80s. Right. And you were there for him in the most supportive way possible. I will never forget your kindness. Oh, never. Oh, and well, how Barry did you was, get back on the straight and narrow, and what's kept you there? You know, honestly, this is going to sound very simplistic. I know it's mm-hmm. more complicated. Barry will tell you that I'm, uh, what I'm about to say is too simplistic, but this is the truth. I didn't want to embarrass my family anymore. Uh. I, I didn't want to embarrass my mother, my grandmother, my relatives, my friends, I, I was. I felt like this self-destructive road that I was on mm-hmm. uh, was an embarrassment for them, mm-hmm. and and I just put the brakes on, and I just did what I could to completely just get myself back up on my feet, dust myself off, and move on. And it, as Barry could tell you, that's not easy to do. And he did it too. He did it well. He did it super well, and. I would. I ha, mine came before Barry's time. Yes. And I knew what Barry was going through. Mm-hmm. I sat with him, as you know, at the hospital, yes. mm-hmm. many days with him, because one of the things that we need most of all is our loved ones to be there for us. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we need is that simple hug, that simple sense of confidence that you will you'll you'll get through this don't worry this will be mm-hmm. something you look back on don't worry this is just part of life we all have our crisis whether it be financial or marital or emotional we all do it's just part of the program so now we just have to go through this storm and when the storm is over we have to think as clearly as possible and and I just kept telling Barry, for me, it was just keeping things basic and simple, mm-hmm. not complicating things. And 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 for me, that's what worked. And for me, also, what worked was I went back to be having a little more faith in God, and mm-hmm. became uh, became a little bit more true to my 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 feeling that there is a God up there watching over me. And and I didn't want to dis- disappoint Him either, because this life that He's blessed me with was a blessing, and has been a blessing, Cynthia. I mean, again. Look at I've worked for six presidents. I've worked on Broadway twice and starred on Broadway. Yes, I've had my uh, own television show. I don't think show. people remember that you starred in a Broadway show. Yeah, Tell I started us about in, that. In Barnum, on, I was on Barnum on Broadway. I, 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 unbelievable show that I was part of. 
then of course Smokey Joe's Cafe, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that. And so, for me to be able to do all of the things I ever wanted to do in my dreams as a kid is a blessing from God for sure. Knowing you and Barry has been a blessing to me. Oh, and, and knowing you that you so are, and the, and, the, and the knowing that you've been my friend. And I want everyone who's listening to know that this is a friendship that's never had one bump in the road. And you know that's true, Cynthia. Absolutely. Never one bump in the road. We have been friends, close friends for all these years with no strings, nothing you know, like do this for me, do that. Just friendship, just pure loving friendship and proud of each other's success and happiness. And I want you to know that you played a major part in my life, Cynthia. You wrote a song called Bless You For Me that put me on the charts in all over the countries or all over the world in 1961. And I remember I didn't have the hit Halfway to Paradise in England because mm-hmm. Billy Fury did. He covered the record. But I had the hit Bless You in England. In my first trip to England, I worked with a group at that time uh, on the road, Bobby V and myself and mm-hmm. Gene Pitney. And it gave me the beginnings of my dreams. And I have nothing but to thank you for. And thank you for your support and love all these years. And I hope you hear me say that to the public who is listening, that you're one of the great, really great ladies of all time. Well, thank you. Now, you also wrote a book, a little memoir called Halfway to Paradise. I did, yes. And the book was titled that because it was my first hit record. And Absolutely. And it was a wonderful book. I really thank loved you. reading it. It was thank very you. honest. It was very open. And what was it like reliving your life for that memoir? You know, I wanted to set some records straight. You know, I went through mm-hmm. that cocaine period. I went through a breakdown. I wanted my daughter and my son to not grow up and and read it in some article in, in, in a tabloid. I wanted them to know that I took responsibility for both the good and the bad, that nothing happened to me that I didn't, I wasn't responsible for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 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 take claim of the truth, so that if whatever happens, they could always say, "Look, you know, there are no surprises with my father. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever he did, for the good and the bad and the ugly, he he stood stood fast by it. That he took responsibility for it, and that was the reason I wrote the book. The book was never written for me to 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 write something that uh, would become a movie someday or something. It was done. Mm-hmm. Simply to set this record straight with my, for my kids, I swear to you, that's the truth. And and so when I read it back to myself, I mm-hmm. thought, boy, you've been a schmuck. Boy, you have, <laughs> you've really taken on some. Boy, you, boy, oh boy, you thought what? Like, how would you? Where were you thinking? You know. Mm-hmm. And and in the in the long run, I realized that with every single negative road that I took, there was a learning curve. That right. took me back on the right road, and so there really are no negatives because when you fail, you succeed in the end because you learn not to go down that street again. Absolutely, Tony, you are such an amazing person. Besides being an amazing entertainer, you were the kindest, best friend that thank anyone you. could ever have, and I thank am grateful you. to you for being in our lives. Oh, thank you, and, Cynthia. And um, I love you for doing this, and thank you, and everybody. When you're not reading my book, read Tony's. 
<laughs> Thank you. And you know, I want a signed book from you. Oh, absolutely. Okay. You'll have to email me the address to send it okay, to. Okay, I shall do. Okay. And I love you. I love Barry. Please keep writing. Don't stop ever. Please give the world the best, the best music of all time. And send my love to Carol. And I Jerry, will. if you're listening, the, what you taught Cynthia, you also taught Tony Orlando. Wow, oh, that's wonderful. God I love bless you, you honey. I love Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye, baby.